Um, and I think where we're shifting towards today is really thinking more about what's the right pedagogy? How do you involve community and other people in the learning process? Um, how do you use some of these next generation technologies like AI? Um, again, instead of just focusing on let's put some videos and content online and everybody will learn because we know that doesn't work. This season provides a wealth of information. You get to know the expertise behind the Shasha Network. What do you know about the current educational climate? Have you caught up on your current affairs? And what would you like to know more about? Today we discuss what we exactly need to look out for, specifically in the education sector. In her own words, I build technology that improves access to knowledge and well-being. She's currently building Kibo School, previously led a product for Google Classroom, was a product manager at Amplify Education, and held other roles at the intersection of education and technology. She loves supporting new ideas to change the status quo. She's on the board of Zeta, which is building next generation schools to prepare every child for the modern world. She is also board chair to a couple of other organizations that support black excellence and embody that notion. Amongst other things, she likes to read books, cook food, and share both with loved ones. Ope has been a thought leader in the edtech space, so if you haven't heard of her, prepare to be inspired of gems you'll get on this episode. So tell us more about yourself and the work that you do. Uh, so my name is Okbaya Bukola. I am the CEO of Kibo School, where we are building an online university for African students. We've got students currently enrolled in a bachelor's degree in computer science in Nigeria, Ghana, and Kenya. Um, and in addition to our degree program, we offer a lot of free enrichment opportunities for young people across the African continent to learn programming and computing. Okay, great, great. So, um, you know, given your history in product development at Google, um, what was the transition like from product development to building your own online university like? And, you know, what do you think was missing in your previous experiences that you needed to address? Uh, that's a great question. So the transition was challenging. Um, it was also very rewarding, like anything new. I'll answer your second question first. So I loved my okay. job at Google. I really loved working on the Google Classroom product and Google for Education. I had the opportunity to join that team really early and kind of go through that process of how do you build a product to you know tens of millions of people um, by the time I left, how do you grow a team? Uh, I became the lead for the product, so I had a phenomenal gig. But the reason that I left and the thing I wanted to address is that for me, going into ed tech, and I'd worked in ed tech for a decade, was all about using technology to expand access to education everywhere. Um, I was born in Nigeria and grew up there, so I'm particularly passionate about how to use technology to increase education opportunity for young Africans. Um, and so that wasn't something I was getting a chance to do directly in my work at Google. And given um, everything that was happening in the world, the number of young people that was really going online in Africa and trying to learn and trying to earn online, it just felt like a great opportunity to be a part of that story, which is, um, which is what I was trying to do is kind of pivot my career more towards that. But the transition mm -hmm. takes 
took a lot of time, you know, thinking about what's the problem I want to solve, what's the best way to solve it. Uh, and Kibo, I think like many businesses or ideas, uh, evolves over time as you talk to more people and you learn more. Right. So I'm curious though, what exactly was the turnaround for you that sort of led to you building on Kibo and sort of saying, you know what, I could do more um, if I went out on my own and built my own team and sort of set up a space where I sort of have like either managerial control or like, you know, a board that would align with my goals and values. Like what was that um, sort of ticking point for you or turnaround point rather? There wasn't really a ticking point or a turnaround point. Like I said, I enjoyed what I was doing before. Um, so it wasn't like this thing happened and now I have to go and leave. I think it's happened more in kind of the process of regular reflection. So I, I reflect very regularly, you know, it's like thinking about quarterly, like what, what are my goals? Where am I headed? Do I feel as if I'm doing the thing I'm best positioned to do? So um, I think, you know, I've always known even before I started at Google that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and start my own thing. Um, and Google was a great place to learn. And so I think in that process of regularly reflecting for months, maybe even a year before I made the decision to leave, I felt like I was in a good point in my career, um, a point to take on a new risk. You know, when you, I always say when you start getting comfortable and you feel like you're really good at what you're doing, that's a good time yeah. to shake it up. Um, so I think it was less about a turning point and more of me getting to a place where personally, I felt like I could take a little risk and, and go after something that I wanted for a long time. I mean, I commend you for that. And, you know, given that, you know, you started Kibo, um, you just left Google. What do you think, how do you think, or how do you think the space has evolved, the tech space, the ed tech space has evolved throughout the time you were at Google and now that you're um, sort of developing Kibo? And then, you know, obviously with factors that are put into consideration, like the pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, within the pandemic, how do you think the landscape has changed over time? The landscape has changed in many ways. I think, you know, the 2010s in many ways were really the first time that a lot of people saw the possibility for technology and education. Um, there was a lot of focus on putting great learning content online, you know, companies like Khan Academy or the MOOC platforms, um, Coursera, edX, etc. They were really the, the stars of that period and it was all about content. I think the shift that's happening now, um, especially post-pandemic, is really thinking beyond content to how do we actually help people learn? So what we saw is when we put a lot of content online, that was nice, but people actually didn't finish their MOOC classes. They didn't um, earn their certificates. They weren't learning that much. So learning is about more than just content. Um, so what I think happened with the pandemic when everybody went online is it showed us the possibilities, but also the pitfalls um, and how much still needed to be built to make great online learning work. So um, I think where we're shifting towards today is really thinking more about what's the right pedagogy? How do you involve community and other people in the learning process? Um, how do you use some of these next generation technologies like AI 
um, again, instead of just focusing on let's put some videos and content online and everybody will learn because we know that doesn't work. All right, so how does your curriculum work? And you know, how, how do you feel it's empowered young people in STEM to stand out in the global job or career market? Yeah, so we've really built Kibo around, um, I would say three kind of curriculum or learning principles. Um, one is to make it really active. And so the aim is not to passively consume content, but to be actively learning, meaning okay. embedded in all the curriculum materials or projects or exercises that you have to do so that you, you don't just read or watch, but you do. And that's really critical. Um, two is it's very much focused mm -hmm. on peer learning and learning with a community. Um, and ultimately our students and young people all over the world have to learn how to work globally with colleagues, right? It's preparing you for work in that way. So peer learning, um, knowing how to collaborate, knowing how to communicate well, these are really critical skills that make you stand out as a technologist. Um, and then it's also designed to be very relevant, meaning it's not school for school's sake. You should be building things that matter. So our students um, have a lot of classes where they're building real software. Um, in one of their communications class, they designed uh, a project for a digital literacy campaign that they're going to run in their communities. So that relevance is also really important. You don't want it to be, you know, I'm in school and then I'll go into the real life. The real life should be uh, embedded directly in your learning. So those are those are the, the real principles that drive our curriculum. Again, it's very active, very focused on peer learning and very relevant. Um, and those things really prepare our students to stand out in the job market. When, when you speak on it, and as I hear you speak, um, I'm just thinking, I, maybe I should apply to keep <laughs> if anything, as I try to build my career. Um, especially in tech, because I did um, a computer science degree, actually. Oh, nice. And right now, you're sort of just seeing how I could apply practically into the world and sort of see um, how I can put all those um, theory um, sessions that I had with, within my university. Um, I wouldn't say they necessarily built me for 21st century skills. Maybe the first year of the leadership program did. But I'm, I'm looking at it now and I'm just hearing you um, speak on, you know, building things that matter, uh, pr the practicality of it. Um, so with that, do they get clients uh, that they work with personally during their internships or, you know, what, what is a typical Kibo um, academic calendar look like? Yeah, so our academic calendar is broken up into quarterly terms. So the degree program is a three-year degree to get your bachelor's degree, but every year there's sort of there's four terms, um, and the last term, so every fourth quarter, is an industry experience. So students are required to complete an internship um, or an open source project or a product studio uh, where they'll be building something for a real company or a real client, um, or in the case of an open source project, you know, a real product that lots of people are using. Um, and they'll go through that experience for 10 to 12 weeks. They'll reflect on what they've learned. They'll get um, reviews from their supervisors. Um, it's really meant, again, to infuse work-based learning right into your right into your curriculum um, and they do it for credit so it's something they have to complete as part of the degree 
Okay, that sounds amazing. So um, one article I recently read about you mentioned that your mission is to train many African graduates to the forefront of the technological workspace. So what, what about the Shasha Network enticed you to join the mission of sharing the wealth of knowledge we have in our network? And how does it align with your values and goals? Yeah, so Shasha's been a really great partner for us when we started our pilot programs and launched our first classes. We uh, got the opportunity to have a few Shasha grads join Kibo and they've been very active in our community. Um, what I really like about Shasha's mission and what attracted me to it is thinking about the whole person. Um, we're very focused on STEM at Kibo, but we also have a really robust human skills curriculum that's about helping young people learn, um, learn how to learn, right? Which is a lot around like your mindset, your own reflective practice, communication, collaboration. Those are all skills that are really critical to succeeding. Um, and the fact that Shasha is very focused on that. Um, sometimes I don't like the term soft skills because it makes it seem less important than hard skills. Um, so I like to I like to use the human skills yeah. language, but um, that part of Shasha's work is really critical. And that's why uh, I wanted to get involved. No, oh, I, love, I love to hear it. So. As we progress through this conversation, it's evident that you're very passionate about the future of education. And I felt it would be important to sort of mention something along those lines. So maybe in your words, how would you describe the future of education and what should we look out for when discussing this? Uh, that's, a, that's a broad question. Um, how would I describe the future of education? Um, so I don't know that I can describe the future of education broadly, but I will focus on where I'm spending a lot of time now, which is thinking about um, the African continent and online learning. And I think that fundamentally, in order to educate the hundreds of millions of young people uh, that are growing up in Africa today, we need to think about the future of education as being hybrid. Um, hybrid between in-person, physical classrooms, schools, universities, and online. Um, we have to use technology to scale high-quality learning for the continent just because we, we just have so many people who need high-quality learning. So um, I think the future of education will be hybrid where we'll see new types of institutions, new types of experiences that leverage um, the best of online and offline. Okay, and when you when you talk about that, I I tend to ask myself um, the issue of access. So there are places in Africa or on the continent rather that people are not able to access these resources, and as much as they're um, you know willing and 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 determined to sort of just join these places, a perfect example would be Kibo or like Osara and you know all these other platforms that you know come to mind. How do you feel? Um, we as a continent or as a tech community or as people were just generally looking out for um, the future generation? How do you think we can curb um, this issue that has to do with access to these resources? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important thing to consider, which is how do we increase access? Um, there's a few thoughts. Uh, one is that building the offline infrastructure is really a big systemic challenge. Um, so I just wrote an article about this. I think it's good and there are things that we can do as individuals or tech community, and I'll get to that in a second. But fundamentally, it is like a government scale problem, right? And I think what we can do there is to apply 
pressure as entrepreneurs, as citizens, to our governments to ensure that we have the infra infrastructure that takes, right? Like Savannah, you and me are not, like we're not gonna lay fiber underneath the ground or connect tubes from continent <laughs> to continent, but that's actually what it takes, right? For, um, if you think about countries that have managed to have broadband reach to their rural areas, it's really a government scale problem. So that's the first thing I'll say is like, we need to think about this as a government scale problem that we can apply our you know our voting and our like our citizenship pressure too so that's one um and then the second thing is as we build our work while we wait and we push on the government we also need to yes. think about access as like individuals and communities to the extent possible so for example at kibo we um have been opening kind of co-learning spaces that are kind of co-working spaces for learners um, and those are for our own degree students but it also gives us an opportunity um, to have people who want to take some of our free classes but might not have a computer. It's a place that they can come to, right, to use a computer to um, get bandwidth. And I think there's more the tech community can do there to get together to sort of build, I don't know what we call them, hubs, libraries, just like places that people can go yeah. to learn this stuff if they don't have devices, if they don't have broadband. So I do think there are initiatives like that that I would love to be a part of and uh, the community can be a part of. Um, but while we do that, we also have to do the first thing, which is really make sure our governments get it right. All right. Um, well, you know, you've transitioned from being employed to, you know, being self-employed on top of being an entrepreneur and an innovator in that space. So what advice would you give somebody transitioning from formal employment to becoming their own boss? Uh, I think the first advice would be just think about what your own motivations and goals are. So there's lots of ways to um, transition from employment to not. It's funny because I'm like, well, I'm still employed. I am just employed by Kibo, um, just like the other, you know, 12 or so people on our team and like, so it's different, right? It's I'm employed now, although I'm the leader of the team, so I have, um, maybe more agency and more control. But the first advice I would give you is think about what you want. Um, obviously you could do it this type of way where we've raised funds and we're accountable to investors, advisors, et cetera. Or you could be more of like a freelance um, or consultant type of entrepreneur. So um, my first advice is just do some deep thinking about the kind of life you want, the kinds of problems you wanna solve, um, and use that to inform what your entrepreneurial journey looks like because it doesn't um, it doesn't have to look the same for everybody. Um, and then uh, my second piece of advice is just plan, plan, plan. Um, entrepreneurship of any type uh, takes time. It often there's like lots of ups and downs. So make sure you have solid footing in terms of like financial footing, in terms of a good community of people around you who will help you and encourage you. Um, through those ups and downs. All right, great. Thank you so much for that. So, you know, obviously, as um, somebody who's the boss <laughs> at Kibo, it would be a shame for us not to be on the podcast and to be on the podcast and not promote Kibo. So, kindly be a shameless plug. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can find this platform and, you know, essentially what it does for the people. And, you know, if there's anything additional that you'd like to add on top of that. 
Well, thank you for that opportunity. It's been fun to be on the podcast. Um, you can find Kibo on our website, kibo.school, um, and you'll learn all about us and our programs. Um, if you are or you know young people in Nigeria, Ghana, and Kenya, uh, applications are currently open for the next cohort of our degree program. So one way that you can help is send that link to someone and tell them to apply. Um, we also offer free programs regularly to young people anywhere on the continent. So if you just know someone who um, is eager to learn programming or computation, um, send them to Kibo. They can join our mailing list and we'll let them know the next time um, applications open for some of those free programs. But Kibo.school is our website. You can find us at Kibo School on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all, all of the places. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. And what about yourself? Where can we find you if, uh, you know, people can you know, sort of connect and see you know, the kind of content that you put out and, you know, um, your social media, maybe if you're interested? Yes. Um, uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just my first name, last name, O-P-E-B-U-K-O-L-A. Um, I've been trying to do more publishing and more writing this year, uh, and I always post on LinkedIn, so would appreciate a follow. Um, and yeah, we'd love to get your, your thoughts on just how we prepare young Africans for the future of work. That's, I try to do a lot of my writing about that. All right. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I mean, Shasha Voices is definitely a platform for us to sort of just share the wealth of knowledge that, you know, we have on the team and on the advisory board and, you know, sort of just um, highlighting or putting a spotlight on the kind of experiences or the wealth of um, knowledge that comes within what it takes to build a network such as this. So we do appreciate you taking your time out and probably we'd pick up this conversation a bit later in the year or some other time um, in order for us to sort of just see what the progress has been like and even talk more on what EdTech and the future of it would look like. That sounds great. It's been really fun to talk to you. Thank you for having me. We want to say thank you to Oki for being with us today. We would also like to thank her for the strides she's taking in making the edtech space a better place for future generations. I hope you also got key takeaways that build on the future of education and some insight on what Oki's day-to-day looks like. I hope you're looking forward to the next episode of Shasha Voices. Shasha Network aims to close the career aspirational gap for young people across the world that has attracted individuals from all walks of life and diverse professional backgrounds. At the core of what brings us together is our shared passion for supporting young people to discover their purpose and reach their fullest potential. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us on Spotify for exclusive access to the wealth of wisdom we have in store for you this season. Shasha Voices, unlocking the next generation's fullest potential. See you next episode.